Alrighty, looks like this is article two of three, Pastor Mike, and it uh, looks like a long read. I hope I can make it through this before our meeting at two o'clock today, but I'm going to just try to split this up to little bites, give my feedback at the very end. The title of this article is Baptism in the Early Church by George E. Rice. So... Here we go. Let's get started. Back and better than ever. And my feedback on this article is, is of course, it is necessary to to show, if possible, through archaeology, art, and Bible reference that baptism is definitely... um, performed through um, immersion. The neat thing in this article for me was watching is watching what time does. Kind of like a stalactite, wait, our stalagmite that drips water and and lime deposits start to develop into stalactites or vice versa. It's just neat to see how erosion or liquid, how it, it, it can break rock over time or split it. And I don't say that because of like the conspiracy behind the rite of baptism and how it was so clandestinely clandestinely changed. Uh, It's just interesting to see how we react to things, how time changes things, circumstances, and how we can read something a certain way or how these little things come and, and change over time. I mean, it's just how we are as humans. We do that sort of thing. And um, some of the interesting tenets I draw from this is um, is not the argument that baptism existed by immersion, but more so the change, especially within the churches and how the, the, the sizes, how they were, you could tell what they were used for. At first they were like, you know, say, um, super long, but, but not so deep and and so you could tell it was used for the immersion of people. And then you could see how, over time, as we got into the sprinkling, how one uh, baptistry was built on top of the old one and used, you could see how um, in the church it was changed. And, and you could see the old use and the new use. and. And the baptisms were made smaller but deeper so that you could completely immerse the baby or the child. And I think I saw a video on that, um, a YouTube or something. It looked pretty gruesome because you just kind of hold the kid by his foot and just dip him under the water. And he'd be like exasperated and shocked and appalled but not sure what to expect. And they just kind of like dip him three times and pull him out and give him to the kid, the parents. And... But um, as far as, as interesting things I found with these these baptisms and these baptistries is that it was easy to change because even now today to get somebody to get baptized it's almost like you have to be divisive which I'm not recommending I'm just seeing that I've seen it done divisiveness to get people in the water and I've seen it where um, you know at this time in history people adults are not getting baptized as much anymore so we can definitely keep our numbers up, A, by just getting babies, you know? 
It's easier then. So so you, you lose one thing, but you gain another. You lose the consent because the baby's too young to know what's going on, but you gain the actual the actual symbol of the rite being performed, which is what we ultimately want for some reason. We get away from the heart response to the to the actual physical response. We want to get them in the water for whatever reasons back then. And so I found that to be fascinating. I I found I've I've seen I love the the allusion to art in how um, you can see the depictions of baptism, which initially in some of the earliest recordings, especially in the catacombs where um, baptistries were made underground um, to avoid um, persecution, that it all pointed to full immersion. But you can definitely see how times change, especially in the depiction of art. How over time, I remember looking at this uh, depiction of Jesus over the ages. If you look at art from the Renaissance before, you can tell what people were going through in that era. You can see in the Dark Ages, if you ever look at a painting of Jesus, he looks, you know, eyes sunken in. Looks looks like he's been bearing that cross before he got to the cross. He, he looked tired. He looked, you could tell as a depiction of the time. Then you look at the, the, the Golden Age the the renaissance the the enlightenment period and jesus looks you know rosy cheeked and and robust and happy and and so it's just like all of these different ways of depiction and so in this art you could see it was immersion you could see it was immersion and then there's these these um these exceptions like the ravenna and which i didn't remember if you look back and listen you can see how you know these different um these different uh, modes of the introduction of baptism through sprinkling. There's that one exception, and there's a question of when it was created, where it's just kind of poured over the head, and um, which was kind of fascinating. And, and then you go into like um, how eventually you see always the, the person was nude and, and standing on, and the, the baptizer was standing on the side. And then there's this this allusion to Luke, which I always wondered when I watch um, the Bible story in on YouTube. I watch John, and I noticed that Jesus like just kind of baptizes himself. And I was like, why did they? Where did they get that from? But I guess that was like I guess the Byzantine or the Byzine Bize or what I whatever you heard me say earlier or later. I guess if I put this segment at the beginning, um, it's it's neat to see how you know, like how on earth that, um, why he would baptize himself. And so all of these things um, are fascinating for how, how things have changed over time and how they continue to change. But um, as far as the argument for me, there really is no argument uh, as to how it was done. It was, it was baptism by immersion and we can make choices and justifications on how not to or to do it and we can talk about the gray areas and focus on those, you know, but it really has to do with the heart response, you know, and in my previous episode, we talk about that, the heart response. What is your heart response towards God? And the heart response towards God is that your desire should be to do what he asks, to obey. And really obeying is just saying yes, saying yes to him. And you will run into circumstances that will be unusual. You'll have these weird anomalies where say there's this guy who is like lives 
in a place where there's no water and he's sickly and he can't get out of bed and he he finds Christ and wants to be baptized and all you have is a, a I don't know, a, a thimble of water and you just go to it, you know, just do what you got to do, you know, but, but then, you know, when you try to take a, these, these, these independent, um, scarce circumstances and apply it to the masses and then make it a standard and use these, these like exceptions that deal with either death or, or, or making sure just to not take any risk of, based on your lack of understanding of the word of God and, and the afterlife, I just think that it just, it's, then we get into problems. We start dealing with heart issues. So that's, that's my estimation. That's my, um, that's my review of the article. And since I'm going to move this segment to the front, I'll just say that you can listen to, um, the article itself, um, after this segment. So Alfred DaCosta, your host of the L4H podcast over and out. The evolution of the Christian baptism of Christian baptism through the centuries has been recorded high mortar and bricks paint and mosaics among the ruins of the early Christian structures and also in ancient churches still in use the history of Christian baptism can be traced paintings and catacombs and churches mosaics on floors walls and ceilings sculptured reliefs and drawings in ancient New Testament manuscripts add details to this history, as well as raising interesting questions that need further investigation. The record left by these various witnesses overwhelmingly testifies to immersion as the normal mode of baptism in the Christian church during the first 10 to 14 centuries. This is in addition to the evidence found throughout the writings of the church fathers that immersion was the early church's common mode of baptism. Most students of church history are acquainted with the early written record about baptism, but what do the mosaics and the mortar and the brick and the paint have to say? More of that coming up next. So, for some time, scholarly circles have been discussing the origin of Christian baptism. Some see its origins in the mystery cults that flourished during the first century AD, actually, and it is not necessary to go beyond the religious heritage in which Christianity was its roots, the religion of Israel. Here we find baptism by immersion ready, already in existence. Gentiles who espoused Judaism were required to enter its fold by circumcision, baptism, and the offering of a sacrifice. This article cannot discuss the beginnings of the proselyte or the proselyte baptism in Judaism, but the fact that the Apostle Paul reflects rabbinic argumentation for proselyte baptism in one of his early epistles, 1 Corinthians to be more specific, would seem to indicate that this practice was in existence at the time of the birth of the Christian church. A Gentile convert to Judaism was required to undergo immersion 
while he stood in the water, two scholars nearby read some of the lighter and some of the heavier requirements of the law. Then at the proper time, he immersed himself. So coming up next, we're going to talk about Qumran and some of those immersion beginnings. So it is... generally agreed that immersion was practiced at Qumran. Matthew Black envisions a candidate for acceptance into the community being baptized in full view of the assembled members in an area that forms a natural amphitheater. Not only were the baptistries at Qumran used for ritual purifications throughout the year, but the entire community renewed the covenant by entering the baptismal waters in the order of their rank and status at the time of a, quote, general convention of the sect, at which time the neophytes, N-E-O-P-H-Y-T-E-S, were also baptized. Because of uh, fresh water was scarce in Qumran, a number of large cisterns were built to collect and store water during the rainy season, and a few of these cisterns were are small and shallow, serving uh, better as baths and ba- than better as baths and baptistries than the storage tanks. So, um, one such cistern, uh, located by the northwest entrance in the monastery, lies beside the aqu- aqueduct that leads to a large settling tank. The cistern has a series of steps leading down into it, serving the purpose of baptism by immersion very nicely. So, coming up next, we're going to talk about John the Baptist and what Jesus says and what Black says dealing with Jewish sects. So, it would seem... It would seem, therefore, that John the Baptist and later the disciples of Jesus simply followed the mode of baptism that was familiar to the people of that day, immersion indeed. Indeed, Black says that most Jewish sects in the New Testament period practiced baptismal rites. During the active ministry of the apostles, baptisms were performed wherever adequate water could be found in lakes, ponds, streams, rivers, the sea, etc. When the imperial persecution drove the Christians underground, baptistries were constructed in the catacombs at Rome, and the remains of these baptistries stand as the oldest archaeological witness to the rite of Christian baptism. Coming up next, we're going to talk about one such baptistry in the catacombs of San Panziano. Stay tuned. One such baptistry in the catacombs of San Panziano is four and a half feet long, three and a half feet wide, and three and a half feet deep. A channel diverted water from a nearby stream to fill this font. Wilfred Coat believes it was in use from the first to the fourth century. Neophytes either stood or knelt in the water and were 
immersed by bending forward under the, the hand of the administrator. The baptistries in the catacombs of St. Priscilla and St. Calixtus also received water through canals, while those in catacombs of the Vatican and St. Alexander were fed by natural springs. So after the conversion of Constantine is what we're going to talk about next, so stay tuned. After the conversion of Constantine resulted in the legalization of the church, large buildings for worship uh, began to appear. Baptismal fonts were constructed in separate enclosures alongside these churches. These early baptistries usually round or octagonal in shape, which housed the fonts and were generally quite large for two reasons. One, the baptisms were performed only on festivals of Easter, Pentecost, and Epiphany, and thus the rapidly growing church required a large facility to accommodate those desiring baptism, and two, since baptisms were performed solely by the bishops at the early point in the church history, the only baptistry would be located at the church where bishop officiated. So therefore, baptismal days would bring together a large crowd from the surrounding parishes, and then later it was no longer feasible to carry this arrangement, and baptistries, they multiplied it after the 6th century, they began to be placed within the church. Coming up next, we're going to talk some about Cote, which lists the locations of these baptistries in Italy. Cote, the man I was just talking about in the previous segment, lists the locations of 65 baptistries in Italy alone, giving the approximate dates of construction from the 4th through the 14th centuries and shapes the fonts circular, octagonal, square, 12-sided, Greek, cross, etc. Regardless of other differences, all 65 were constructed for baptism by immersion. Henry Brown speaks of baptistries having two conclaves, one for men and one for women. However, it is not clear whether these conclaves were uh, robbing rooms or separate fonts or robing rooms, excuse me. Um, robbing is another place we don't want to be. So, Cote does describe one baptistry, that of Pissarro, into which uh, two fonts were discovered, and the second font was for the baptism of women, who, as we know, received the rite separately from the men. These baptistries were usually beautifully decorated with paintings, mosaics, and carvings of biblical scenes, um, mostly from the life of Christ. As adult baptism became less frequent, the infant baptism became more popular, a decided change occurred in the size and the shape of the baptismal font. Uh, below the floor level fonts, large enough for the immersion of an adult gave way to the fonts greatly reduced size and raised by various means to a level of three or four feet, thus making the immersion of infants easier for those officiating. Uh, with the introduction of sprinkling or pouring, the fonts became even smaller. So, 
The font of the Basilica of St. John Lateran is an ex excellent example. The, f the original font is below the floor level, uh, 20 feet in diameter and three feet deep. And paved with marble, it was once used for adult immersion. Uh, falling into disuse, it was filled with the bath for infant baptism, was erected in its place. And this, in turn, was no longer used and a smaller font was placed above it for the pouring of children. Ancient world art is what we're going to talk about in the next segment, so stay tuned. Ancient works of art dealing with Christian baptism support the testimony of baptismal fonts that in the early Christian centuries, baptism was by immersion. The earliest Christian artwork comes from the catacombs. A picture in the catacomb of Ponzanio shows Jesus being baptized by John. Jesus is standing waist deep in water of the Jordan and unclothed. John is standing on the shore clothed with his right hand on Jesus's head. An angel appears to Jesus's right standing on the opposite bank and holding Jesus's robe. Looking at the picture, one understands that John is about to immerse Jesus. A similar painting found in a crypt of the catacombs of St. Lucina portrays John the Baptist standing on the shore with an extended right hand helping Jesus out of the water and up onto the bank of the Jordan. Again, John is clothed and Jesus is not. Numerous ancient pictures, mosaics, and reliefs can be found in churches and baptistries illustrating the, the baptism of Jesus. Generally, he is standing waist deep in water, unclothed, and John is on the bank, clothed, and the right hand on Jesus' head, preparing to immerse him. It seems clear that these pictures reflect the baptismal rite as it was practiced in the early church, indeed, by picturing Jesus in the water and John standing on the riverbank, they reflect more accurately what happened at the baptismal font than what happened at the Jordan. But unquestionably, these ancient illustrations convey the concept of baptism by immersion. Pictures of Jesus standing in the water while John pours water over his head are of a much later date and then depicting immersion they demonstrate the change in the mode of baptism that came into the church however brown does not or he does actually date the fifth century a mosaic found in the dome above the baptistry of the church of san giovanni ravenna it shows jesus waist deep in the water with john on the bank pouring water over his head yet it is of interest to note that the directly below this dome is a font of immersion that had been subsequently altered for sprinkling. This fact would tend to place a question on Brown's date of the mosaic, especially since it appears over a baptistry and is inside a church. Baptistries were only beginning to be moved into churches in the 6th century. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the Catacomb of St. Calixtus. So, welcome back. The Catacomb of St. Calixtus uh, 
contains the picture of what appears to be a young boy standing in water. A larger person, that's a notification, a larger person is standing in the water beside him, what is apparently intended as water streams from his head and down his nude body. There was a great deal of discussion regarding whether this illustrates a fusion. The, the one who is administering the baptism is not holding a container from which the water is poured. Rather, his right hand is placed on the neophyte's head, as in the pictures of immersion. Therefore, the, the water spraying over the candidate's head and down the body is not the result of pouring, but could be the artist's primitive representation of the neophyte being completely covered by water or immersed. Fresco in the ancient Basilica of St. Clement pictures St. Cyril baptizing a neophyte as a result of his first mission to, to the Bulgarians. Cyril, dressed in his clerical robes, is standing by the neophyte who pictured in a pyramid of water to the waist. Cyril's right hand is on the neophyte's head, as in the typical portrayals of baptism and by immersion. A number of, of pictures now are show the candidate in the pyramid of water, um, some up to their waist, some up to their necks, and then some entirely under the apex of the water pyramid. Each portrayal apparently represents the same thing, aka immersion. Coat lists total of 26 New Testament manuscripts for which this exists. Museums containing sketches of baptism. Some are of Christ, some of others, but they all have one thing in common. Baptism by immersion. In all of the early pictures represented by Brown and Coat, three things remain constant. First, baptism is by immersion, except for the one mosaic in the dome of St. Giovanni Ravenna, and whose 5th century date may be questionable. Second, the baptismal candidate is nude. And three, the one administering baptism is not with the, the candidate in the water, um, but stands clothed on the bank of a river or next to the font, the baptismal font. Coming up next, we're going to wrap this up, land this plane. Please put your seats in the upright position. And after this next segment, we will do a feedback. So the last point raises an interesting question of how immersion was administered to adults, uh, especially in light of the, the variant reading of Luke 3.7. In the Codex Bizet and the Old Latin Manuscripts, Codex Bizet is especially significant because it is the only existing Greek manuscript that represents the Western text type. Probably copied by Lyons, France in the 5th century, it reflects in many of its variant readings, even more than old Latin manuscripts, historical developments in the church or existing traditions that do not show up in the other texts. Luke 3.7 speaks of the people that came to be baptized by John, Codex of, thus possibly reflecting the tradition of Jewish proselyte baptism in which the candidate immersed himself in the presence of those authorized to administer the rite. It is possible that these ancient pictures are 
are actually uh, presenting self-immersion as the practice of the early church and the placing of the right hand on of the one officiating upon the head of the neophyte represents the right of blessing rather than officiator physically immersing the neophyte. Not sure on that one. It seems clear that although the archaeology confirms immersion as the common mode of baptism during the early centuries of the Christian church, it also raises other questions that deserve further attention. Coming up next, the feedback session on this long article. Stay tuned. <laughs> 